Hi there, and welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm joined by a guest who's a longtime friend of the Sam Sorbo Show. He's a he's an American free market policy analyst, and he's also a political organizer. And he's the president of American Commitment, which is a conservative 501c4 organization that he founded himself in 2012. And he's here to talk about his latest article, which has to do with the detrimental policies that were enacted in our schools as a result of our COVID uh, panic, I should say. Welcome to the show, Phil Kirpin. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having me. So the the whole point of your article is to is to show the the detrimental effects that closing our schools had on the the school children of the United States and you know we we looked at the the results of covid on school children and the 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 effects of covid I should say were minimal and yet they had such draconian policies in the schools why don't you run through them for us and run through their effects Yeah I I really think that um, the school closures and the school mitigations, because remember, even after schools open, most places they open two days a week and with masks and silent lunch and all kinds of like crazy restrictions. I think that what we did to the schools uh, will ultimately be the worst error of the entire pandemic and ultimately maybe more harmful even than the impacts of the virus itself, because the consequences are going to be felt, unfortunately, for many of these kids for the rest of their life in terms of uh, worse educational outcomes, worse economic outcomes, and worse, worse health outcomes than would otherwise have been the case. And uh, the real tragedy of this is that it was very clear early on, if we had been following the evidence, that we shouldn't have done this. Uh, there were some countries that didn't close schools at all and that didn't change normal operations at all in schools, of course, most famously Sweden. And uh, most of the European countries, they closed schools for about three or four weeks, and then they reopened them in April of 2020. Whereas in the United States, uh, in many parts of the country, especially the blue areas where the teachers unions had the most power, we had a full year of closure followed by a full year of sort of extremely unnatural prison-like conditions in the schools. And so we had kids who really lost two full years of normal educational experience in many parts of this country. And the consequences were enormous. Uh, on average, a closure cost kids uh, almost uh, day for day as if they had had no school at all during that period. Remote schooling was just very, very ineffective. And so uh, in many places, kids lost, you know, half a school year in attendance in terms of real, you know, school physical presence. And they were about half a year behind uh, where they would otherwise be. And so we've got record low math scores. We've got record low reading scores. We had huge drops. Uh, some of the numbers, though, by the way, are deceptive, though. California, Bragg, look at our wonderful scores. Well, um, the kids who were still out of school when the tests were given weren't given the test. And so, you know, the, the scores can be very deceptive, <laughs> but you know, where we do have data, uh, it's pretty clear uh, in, in the data that the kids who had the longest closures and the longest disruptions have the worst outcomes. Uh, and we, a lot goes with it. It's not just that they're behind educationally, there's been enormous learning loss. And by the way, uh, sometimes the defenders of school closures will say, well, the learning loss was would have happened anyway. That was from COVID being so terrible, not from the school closures. And there's a very clear counterexample that disproves that, which is there's zero learning loss in Sweden, where they didn't close the school. They had normal school. They didn't have any learning loss. So uh, it was not COVID that did this. It was our policy reaction to it, and in particular, uh, the closures and the mitigation that were imposed uh, on the schools that really caused this. But it's not just the educational uh, losses, which are bad in themselves. 
We also had enormous weight gain among children in this country, which is all kinds of health consequences associated with it. They weren't doing physical activity. Uh, we had an enormous increase in mental health problems among children, very big increases in anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, we have about, here, here's a really scary number. Think about this one. We have about 250,000 children whose whereabouts are now completely unknown, Sam. Uh, they were in school before the closures. They didn't come back. They didn't switch to private schools. Uh, we know that number. That's a big number also. But the 250,000 didn't come back, didn't switch to private schools, didn't switch to homeschooling, according to any official data that we have. They're just missing. They're just, we don't know where they are. And uh, you start to think about where they might show up. They might show up by perpetrating crimes. They might show up uh, in a lot of very disaster. They might be found dead. I mean, who knows? Uh, but they have that many people, just complete children, just completely drop off the radar is an enormous red flag. And uh, you know, I fear that they're going to start showing up again in ways that are that are disturbing and uh, harmful. And so, uh, really, it's a enormous educational harms, enormous. Uh, physical health harms, particularly with the huge increase in uh, childhood obesity that we've seen, which is already high before this, uh, enormous mental health harms. And of course, all of this results in enormous economic harms because children who are way behind educationally have all these other social, developmental, mental health problems. That has a huge effect on lifetime earnings. Uh, the difference uh, in lifetime earnings based on educational outcomes, very well documented relationship. And then along with income come health outcomes. And so the difference in life expectancy between a high school graduate and a high school dropout is about five years. And so when you have a lot of kids who are falling behind, who may not finish school, or who may have already dropped off the radar screen, they're going to have worse, not just educational outcomes, but they're going to have worse economic outcomes, and they're going to have worse health outcomes on average as well. And so uh, it really is potentially catastrophic. Of course, we need to do everything we can to catch these kids up, to remedy these problems. But unfortunately, um, some kids are never going to be caught up. And the tragedy, the, the worst tragedy of all of this uh, is that it was for nothing. It wasn't like there was some trade-off where, okay, we did all this, but at least we stopped COVID. We didn't stop any COVID among the uh, pediatric population because almost 100% of kids in this country had COVID. Uh, the CDC number has it at like 95% and their tests uh, miss some people. So you, it, I mean, it's pretty close probably to a hundred percent that got it anyway. So it, it by the way, with very nothing. low, with very low uh, right. numbers comparable of deleterious effects, right? Yeah. Comparable to a cold in terms of the outcome for the pediatric population. Uh, right. So we, so, so we enacted all of these mitigation efforts to prevent the spread of COVID in schools. And that was in a, actually that was sacrificing the children in order to protect the adults because we knew early on that children were yeah. not were were very very uh, limited in the effects of COVID on them. Yeah. We knew yeah, that, that was very clear early even on. Before the first U.S. cases, you look at even even the earliest data, we knew that uh, this was very low acuity for children. I mean, there was a but, massive. But talk to me. So I understand it. And, you know, I come at this from a homeschool perspective. I want kids out of school full yeah. stop. I just so for me. Well, well that's fine like, if they have parents who are equipped to do that and are doing. It. Uh, it's well, not if, if 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 the approach were different. Right. What happened was these children were were stranded on islands. They weren't ministered to. They were just dumped by the schools. So it wasn't it certainly wasn't the way that I would prefer it. Um, by any stretch, but my point, but my question really is focuses around 
what were the harms that were done to children because they were there was tremendous harm done to children. You talked about 250 to 300,000 children that are completely unaccounted for. And that's, we, you know, I, I think, I think we could probably put a large number of those kids in the camp of the parents who were like, this system hates my child, screw the system. I'm going off the grid. And that's possible. But I think, I think your suspicions about the whereabouts of some of those children could be well-founded and they could be in, in tremendous harm. And we, we have no way of knowing that. Um, but what about the other harms that were done to children, the psychological harms of wearing the masks when there was no reason to put children in masks? And not only that, the psychological harms against the parents, the, the psychological harms against the families that that they turn these people against each other because everybody is now suspicious of carrying you know rabid disease and and all of that all of that that was sort of imposed on these young children who really should be protected from that right yeah it's very disturbing i still see a lot of uh, post mandate masking of children which means uh, that they either internalized it and they, they feel they need it themselves or their parents are still imposing it on them and of course um the evidence for masking anyone was always extremely weak uh for a respiratory virus and of course you know the, the best well, it was averse evidence. i mean if you looked at yeah. if you looked at the data from the cdc from 10 years prior to uh 2020 they did a study even, on masks even through 2020 even they didn't before, reverse until well into the year yeah and I'm saying, but but 10 years before, so 2010, there, there was a study that the CDC did on cloth masks saying that they were absolutely ineffective at preventing the spread of disease, completely ineffective to the tune of, you know, 0.002% effective, uh, effective, effectiveness. And, and yet the CDC enacted the mask mandates. Yeah, I mean, what they basically did is they threw all of the science and all the evidence out the window, and uh, they basically caved to political pressure. There was a political pressure campaign uh, by people uh, like uh, Jeremy Howard and uh, ZNAP and uh, others. It was called Masks for All, and uh, they basically did a petition that said, throw all the science out and impose masking, and they exerted political pressure at the World Health Organization through the New York Times and other means. And, Why? Uh, you know, masking. It obviously goes beyond children because they impose it society wide. But the worst so harms. Why, of why it, did they do that? Do we do we can we conjecture? Is there conjecture about why those people would do that? Because the schools went along with it willingly. Yeah. The, the unions went along with it willingly. And that's harm they harmed children. They harmed yeah. their charges. They harmed the people that they are so that they are, you know, sworn to protect. Well, I think it was largely a sociological experiment. And the idea behind it was that. If you can have a visible symbol of things being not normal, of there being a pandemic and a reason for fear, that you would then be able to control people's behavior more broadly and, uh, and impose these, these other measures and keep people apart from each other and stop disease spread. I think that was mostly the theory, because if you look at uh, a lot of sort of the early advocates, they really focused on the behavioral and the psychological impacts of masking to kind of create a sense that everyone was doing these things together and to reinforce the other mitigations that they were putting in place. I think that the the physics of the actual transmission were always pretty clear that it wouldn't interrupt it. And I actually think that this is a, 
in a way, it makes it even worse uh, that they were trying to sort of, th their theory was if you make everyone really scared, then they'll avoid each other and they won't have social interactions and that'll reduce the amount of disease that spread. And I think that this uh, idea obviously didn't work. Uh, the disease still spread mostly through the entire community, uh, but it added this whole additional layer of this, this sort of this fear epidemic uh, on top of everything else that was COVID associated. And I think that caused a lot of harms in particular with people not going to doctors and not going to hospitals because of fear. And, you know, we had record low utilization. We had empty emergency rooms, empty hospitals, while we had these lying headlines about how overwhelmed and full they were. And then we had a lot of people dying at home of heart attack and stroke and all kinds of other untreated medical conditions because of the pandemic of fear, then the masks were the visible symbol of that. And so I think that it was the theory that if you make everyone scared, you'll be able to control them in a way that will improve outcomes. But I think it backfired very badly and we got worse outcomes as a consequence of it. And I think that particularly for children, uh, a lot of the harms that we're seeing, a lot of the developmental harms, a lot of the mental health harms, a lot of the educational harms, particularly with respect to communications development, come from the masks, at least as much as the closures, because the masks were this barrier to social interaction, this barrier to communication, this barrier to learning. You know, a lot of the ways that we communicate and therefore that we teach and that we learn have to do with emotional expression. A lot of communication is not words, it's what it's in faces. And all of that was very, very deliberately cut off and blocked. And I think that that's, uh, that is going to have uh, pretty widespread consequences that haven't been necessarily as well understood as just the educational scores being lower because it hasn't been that well studied. But I don't see how you could impose something like that for as long as they did uh, without major consequences. And I think that feeds into, you know, for instance, the huge increases that we're seeing in anxiety and depression uh, among children. Yeah, and we're seeing it in um, speech issues with younger kids who right. didn't get to see people's mouths move and didn't get to learn how to read facial expressions. The, the brain goes through stages of development, stages during which it learns certain types of, of, uh, of knowledge. And if you prevent that, for instance, they, I, I can't remember who did this. It was terrible uh, scientist back way back, um, maybe during the Nazi era, who, blind, who blindfolded babies at birth. And the baby's brains developed. They were perfectly normal. Their eyes were perfectly normal, but they never developed the ability to see. Because they were prevented, I, I the brain that, was that's terrible. I mean, look, yeah, I think so, the so the um, so the brain learns at a certain time. It learns certain things, and you know, when children are young, they learn they learn humor, they learn um, object permanence. This this peekaboo yeah. game is is a game for object permanence for children, so that they understand, even though you can't see it anymore, it's still there, and that's that's something that they learn. And and when we put masks on teachers and children. And then insti instituted, by the way, all of the fear that came in was also a deterrent to learning because anxiety yeah. prevents learning. Right. So I, even think, today, no. the anxiety that the children are suffering is inhibiting their learning capacity for sure. For some of them, yeah, no question. I mean, look, one of the things, when you do something this traumatic and this disruptive, uh, you know, and then they they always they they have this flippant, oh well, children are resilient. Well, I mean, they shouldn't have to bounce back from you harming them 
and some of them are more resilient than others, of course, and some of them, no question. But here's the thing: if you deficits. cut off, if you cut off a child's leg, you don't say, "Well, he, he's resilient. He'll learn how to walk with just one leg." Like that's, that's just absurd. You, he, he's permanently damaged, and that will be with him for the rest of the, his life. Now, some kids will overcome certain things, but why did we go to such extreme measures to put these tremendous barriers up in front of our children and? It really goes to, we have to question the people who were in charge of our institutions of quote unquote education. And I think they should all be impeached and removed from office because they have obviously presided over the worst catastrophe for education of children, and they should no longer be in the business of educating children, full stop. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they, really the fateful, the fateful week uh, was the first week of July of 2020. Um, you know, we had already lost a couple of months of school uh, at the end of the 2019-2020 school year, but that's a little bit more understandable just because the pandemic hit and there was right. confusion. So it, in, in a way, it's not understandable because all of Europe pretty much went back after a month and we didn't. And you know, I think that was a huge mistake. And just the longer you go without people in school, the more fear and uncertainty, and it sort of makes it harder. And so that, but but really, I think we were on track for a pretty normal school year for 2020, 2021. I think yes. the extent of the school closures would have been contained uh, to those couple of months at the end of 2019, 2020, if not uh, for the grotesque political spectacle that we saw in that first week of July, 2020. And what we saw for people who don't remember, and we should never forget this, is the American Academy of Pediatrics came out and said all schools should be open full time. If you can't do six feet, do less than that because it's better than having kids sitting at home. Don't worry about masking in elementary school because those kids are too young to get any benefit right. from it anyway. They need to be in school. Is basically what the American Academy of Pediatrics said, which is sort of the main organization for pediatricians in this country. And then, then President Trump did a big event at the White House and he had them speak at it. And he said how important it was for all the kids to be in school. And because President Trump was for it, all of the elite media had to be against it, and they actually uh, flipped the American Academy of Pediatrics. And so yep. 11 days Because everybody after can be bought. Phil, I'm sorry, we've run out of time. I just want to say people can see this article, School Closures Brought, The Worst Self-Inflicted COVID Harm. It's up on the New York Post. I'll put it in the links. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on the Sam Sorbo Show. Phil Kirpin. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Hi there, Sam Sorbo here. Are you a parent with a child in school or some children in school and you're concerned about what's happening in our schools, but you're too afraid to take your kids out of school? I urge you, go to samsorbo.com and check out my playbook for home learning. It's a workbook and a guide, and it comes with 15 videos that live online. And you watch the videos, you fill in the workbook, and you work through your aims and your goals for your child's education. You know that what they're doing in schools today is not education, but you just don't know what to do about it. So try the playbook for home learning. Check it out at samsorbo.com. Follow the videos. It will bless you as much as it's blessed a number of people. And uh, I got to tell you, people thank me when they finally take their kids out of school because it's so much easier than they ever imagined. And it's so much more rewarding than they ever dreamed. And you too can have that for your family. So go to samsorbo.com, check out the playbook for home learning. 
and uh, and then email me when you when you pull your kids out of school and you realize what a tremendous blessing it is to have the freedom in the United States of America to educate your child at home. This is Sam Sorbo. Go to samsorbo.com. We'll see you there.